Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our lead pastor, Chris Figueretti, for this week's message. Welcome to the Vineyard, everyone. I am fired up that you're here and uh, excited for today's message. It's going to be, a, I think, a, an encouraging message uh, and hopefully one that helps you right where you're living. Uh, I'm so excited about what's going on with our groups uh, as well. We have church at home groups going all over the Ohio Valley and around the country. And I want to say a thank you and a shout out to all the people who are leading groups right now. Uh, getting great feedback from the groups. Um, We're calling them our church at home groups because it's a gathering of people meeting in living rooms, meeting in homes, and these are going on. We've got, I believe, over 80 of them going on around uh, the community and and around the country. It's, it's, It's fantastic. It's like a dream come true, and it's perfect for the season that we're in. Now, if you're watching the service alone at your computer, you're doing what we call church online. And church online is a great place to start, but it's not a great place to stay. You want to meet with other people. Church in large part is about gathering. And so you don't need to go find another group to be a part of. You can start one right where you are. Just grab one or two other people or maybe 10. It's up to you and your personality. Uh, Bring some food, watch the service together. And if you're interested in doing that, I hope that you are. After the service is over, go to vineyardwheeling.com, click on church at home, and then you can sign up. We'll get a hold of you, and we'll have you up and running for next weekend. It's that simple. It's really easy to do, and uh, don't do church alone. Do church at home. This past weekend, I was at uh, Youth Services Systems building for uh, our first week of church at home, and um, we had a, one of our concerns coming from meeting outside at the waterfront uh, was the homeless population. We've picked up a lot of homeless folks over the summer, and you know they don't have homes with televisions and everything. What, what are we going to do with them? And so what we decided was to meet at, at downtown at the Youth Services building, and it was amazing. They had, I think Susan was telling me, she was expecting maybe two people. They had 25 folks from the homeless population show up. Yeah, and and um, we had... A, a bunch of people, uh, a bunch of our people volunteering to help out and a great breakfast and the environment was just electric. It was awesome. I mean, great stories and we got to pray for each other and God was moving. It was, it was really, really neat. I was, I, I was standing in the back of the room watching, just kind of watching the dynamic as people were watching the service and interacting and I was just like, this is going to work. I mean, not just here, but everywhere. This is really going to work. I'm so excited about it. So, Yay. And here we are. We are days away from uh, what most people are saying is probably the most divisive election of our, of our lifetime. Um, you know, a year ago, we looked at the calendar and said, we probably need to do a, a series on not being a jerk. Um, and so thus this series. Um, but what we didn't anticipate was all the fear and all the concern and all the, I mean, we kind of anticipated the division, but just everything that's going around, on around the election. Is anybody seeing that? I mean, are, are you seeing what I'm seeing? There's just seems to people are concerned. You can feel it in the air. 
And depending on what news source you're listening to, uh, you might believe that, you know, Donald Trump is probably going to lose the election and, uh, but refuse to leave the White House and hold on to power and take control of our country and they'll have to have a military coup and it'll destabilize everything. And so there's fear surrounding all of that. Or if you're listening to other news sources and you believe that the, um, that the, uh, the kind of the radicals who have been rioting all summer long are, are ready to, in much larger numbers, take over the cities and burn everything down and attack our electrical grid and everything else. And so, I mean, like literally these are the narratives that are going on right now. And I know you guys are looking at me like, well, what? Really? Yeah, you know, you, you've heard it too. And, uh, and because of that, there's a great deal of fear. And I want to speak to the Christians for just a moment. Like, so, you know, if you're a Christian, lock eyes, look at me. God tells us over and over and over again in his word to not be afraid. He says, fear not, for I am with you. The God who made the universe, the God who made you and knows how many hairs are on top of your head, who is concerned about you because you're his kid, who loves you more than anything else you can think of, that God has got your life in his hands. And he says, I'm with you. I'm not leaving you. I'm not going anywhere. You don't have to be afraid. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves of that or we end up losing our way and losing our minds in the process. So I just want to remind you, you are a child of God. I don't know if any of of those things are going to happen. I, I don't know. But I do know that you're a child of God. I also know that you live in the Ohio Valley. All right, and so if if these things happen, they're probably not going to happen in catastrophic ways in the Ohio Valley. Now, that said, you know, uh, I I said this last week, uh, after going through COVID part one, uh, if you don't have a couple weeks of food and enough toilet paper to wipe your bottom for a couple weeks, um, you, you probably ought to go to the store and get that. Not out of fear, but just out of being, you know, Prepping is kind of going mainstream anyway. I mean, it really looks good on you. You should probably try it. A couple weeks. Don't go out and buy a, week, a year's worth of, of stuff, but a little bit is probably not a bad idea so that uh, if we do get locked down or whatever else, you're good to go. And let me also say this. Stay connected to your church family. You know, the, the, these church at home groups are fantastic because you've got a small group of people who can take care of one another, support one another, pray for one another, you get concerned, you got somebody to call, phenomenal. Stay connected to your church at home group and stay connected with the church at large as we go through this next season that we're, we're heading into. You know, there's so many things that go on in our lives that we have no control over. There's so many things that are going on in the world around us that we're not even aware of, and it's always that way. And ultimately, all we can do is place our trust in God anyway. So let's do that, and let's walk with him in the days ahead. And I believe, I believe the best is yet to come. I really do. And as I've said over and over again through this series, I believe the church and the Christians, we are going to lead the way through this. And that's why we're doing a series called How Not to Be a Jackwagon. Because if we're a jack wagon in the process, or we're looking at the world around us as a bunch of jack wagons, we're not going to be the solution to the problems that our society faces. 
and we have a jack wagon problem. We are divided. We are writing one another off. We are looking at other people and saying, you're an idiot, and then we don't have to, we don't have to take them seriously. It happens every day on social media. It happens every day in our lives, and we're becoming more and more that way. And as I talked about last week, the best way to not be a jack wagon is to not look at other people as jack wagons. Because once we, be, once we cross that line, we start looking at people around us as jack wagons, then we begin to treat them as jack wagons. We're just one step away from that. And not treating people as jack wagons is a premeditated choice. It's something we have to choose to do ahead of time. Not because we want to. It's easier to say, they're a jack wagon. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to emotionally deal with them. I don't have to just write them all off and we're fine. But because it's what Jesus told us to do. You know, <clears throat> our culture is a mess. That's really what this series is about. <laughs> um, the church is going to lead the way out. And uh, I believe there's three things. I don't know, well, before I go into the three things, I, I don't know what the journey through is going to look like. I just know that if we obey God, we will lead the way out and we will come out in a better place. I really do. I mean, it, it, he is the one who sees all the moving pieces. Um, and there's three things, just a little review of the last couple of weeks. We're supposed to pray, pray hard, pray often, pray regularly. Prayer is what ushers in revival and revival is what changes a culture at its core. We need to pray. Prayer is the most powerful thing you can do. Pray, pray, and pray some more. Guys, we need to be on our knees for our world, for our church, for our country, all of it. The second thing is to be the blessing. We talked about this last week. If you missed the message, go online at vineyardwheeling.com and watch that message. We need to return blessing for curse. We need to not be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. That's what we need to do. That's who we need to be. We need to do right when other people have done us wrong. And the third thing that I want to talk about this week is that we need to stand. We need to stand. You know, we think that being the blessing means that uh, we just kind of go along to get along. We don't want to cause any waves or anything. And that's not what it means at all. Being the blessing doesn't mean that we don't stand. Being the blessing is how we stand. It's how we stand. But as, the, as, as followers of Jesus, we must stand. And I want to unpack a passage today that will help us get our arms around what that looks like and how we do that. But let's pray first, okay? Jesus, I pray that you give me your words I pray that you give all of us the ears to hear what you're saying through your word. And um, Lord, help us to live this out. Make us, uh, make us truly the light of the world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles or you have a device and you want to follow along, we're going to be reading from the book of Ephesians in chapter 6, starting in verse 12. This is what it says. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Get this deep into your soul. We are not fighting people. 
We're not fighting people. The str- Paul is saying the struggle is real. There is a battle that's going on, but it is a spiritual battle. It is happening in a dimension that, thank God, we don't get to look into very often because we'd be scared to death if we could. There is a, a spiritual battle that goes on around us. Jesus believed in demons and angels and spiritual forces. So did Paul. And he understood that, that you know, we're not fighting people. We, we get caught up in the, the physicality and the, the, there's somebody right there that we can see and they've done something bad and so they're the enemy and we're gonna, they're not the enemy. Now these, this physical or this spiritual war bleeds over into the physical. It bleeds, you know, it, it manifests through people, but the people are not the enemy. We see it and we see this, this war rage around us in media. We see it on the internet through, you know, pornography and child traffic or uh, sex trafficking and see it in the political realm. We see, you know, we can see the manifestations of it. But the battle, what's going on, is spiritual in nature. You know, I love Washington, D.C. Anybody else a fan of going down to D.C. and touring the monuments and, the, uh, and, and seeing the, uh, the, the museums and stuff? I, I just, I geek out on that stuff. I love American history. I love all of that. But you can kind of feel the spiritual, the spiritual um, energy around Washington, D.C. as well. There is a battle that is going on. It makes sense, right? I mean, if you were going to fight for, uh, if you were a principality or power and you're going to fight for, that's where, all, that's the, the power center for the whole world, really, um, certainly for this nation. And, um, and uh, there is a, there's a, there's a battle going on there. You know, you watch people go to Congress um, to make a change, to bring integrity, and it's not long until they are drunk on power or addicted to something that they shouldn't be addicted to and, and sidelined and sold out. And there's a spiritual battle that is going on there. You know, I believe there, you know, there are spiritual battles that go on all around us. I believe the great spiritual battle of our age, of the last 100 to 150 years, um, is the battle uh, for, uh, for control, political control. And we see it going on around the world, and we see, we see these manifestations as well. It's gone on for at least 100 years, and it backs up, to, uh, it backs up in writing to a guy named Karl Marx. Anybody familiar with Karl Marx say yes? All right, Karl Marx wrote back in the 1800s, mid to late 1800s, and he wrote the Communist Manifesto. Uh, he, he laid out a plan for, for a form of government and really economics um, that he believed would bring some kind of utopia. It wasn't until the, the, the um, second decade of, of the 20th century that his plans really got tried in earnest in, this, in Russia, which eventually became the Soviet Union. And, um, and, it, and it has been tried many times since. And over and over and over again, what we have seen is we have watched, uh, I, I think, the physical manifestation of spiritual evil over and over and over again. Uh, Stalin in, in, in Russia 
um, really was the first to try this in earnest. And, and what they realized very quickly is it requires a totalitarian government that controls everything and oppresses everyone to even try to make it work. They killed in, in the Soviet Union tens of millions of people, not, not in wars. These were their civilians. They would take them off to work camps or make them build a road off in Siberia and they would freeze to death in the wintertime. There were uh, famines because the whole system broke down and people didn't have food. There were, it, it was horrific. Uh, it, was, it was painful. Uh, and it went on until what? the 1990s, when it, when it opened up and people were able to go in and see, because they wouldn't let anybody in, it was total control. The conditions that the people lived in were beyond your ability to fathom. See, uh, Adolf Hitler tried the same thing. You know, the Nazis were the National Socialist uh, Party. Uh, same ideology. Same spiritual battle. Killed six million Jews, led his country into a horrible, horrible place. The communist revolution in China under Mao killed over 60 million people, innocent people. They were just killing people like professors and intellectuals and people who could think for themselves because they might have an idea that's different than the party line. Guys, I don't know about you, but for me, that's evil. Um, today, in communist China, we watch, we're watching them round up the Uyghurs, um, and uh, millions of them on, put them on trains and take them off to camps where they're being either starved or executed. It's evil. It's, it's the spiritual battle of our day. North Korea, I was reading an article in Vox magazine, it said this about North Korea. Um, North Korea operates four enormous labor camps, and they have more than this, but this is what they're aware of, for political prisoners, sprawling city-sized facilities in the country's frigid and mountainous north. Most inmates are sent for life as punishment for minor slights or because a relative committed some offense. They're subjected to backbreaking labor, routine torture and starvation, constant fear of arbitrary execution, and conditions so squalid most do not survive past age 45. These gulag camps, that's what they're called, they're, these work camps are called gulags, that's what they were called in the Soviet Union and all the way along, which are separate from the country's more conventional prison systems, which are just as bad, by the way, are thought to house 100,000 or more people. Some experts believe it's over a million in a very small country. It's how they maintain control, including many women and children. Often entire families are sent away for one member's offense through two or three generations, sometimes inmates will have no idea why they're there or will have never met the relative for whom they are punished with a life of torture and malnutrition. Spiritual battle, guys. And we see this over and over. We see this in our hemisphere. We see this in Cuba. We see this going on in Venezuela right now, which was just recently a prosperous, free, free country, and now people are struggling to find food. Um, and all kinds of oppression and tyranny. And tyranny is what comes with this philosophy and this form of government. It's, I believe, a demonic ideology. 
I read a, read a book recently called The Devil and Karl Marx by a professor from Grove City College, and he goes back and, and uncovers the early writings of Karl Marx and all that, and it's a great case to be made that the man was demonized. Um, his ideologies were, were evil. They, were, they just were. And if you go on and you look, every time it is tried, every time it is thrust upon a society, what you see is, is um, you see death, 100 million plus dead in 100 years, starvation, famine, abject poverty, freedom completely canceled, tyranny installed, corruption at every level because the ideology is at its root atheistic, and there is no moral compass. And the ends justify the means, and you can say whatever you want, lie, whatever it takes to get what you want. That's what you see over and over again when it's tried. The other thing that Karl Marx did, I guess, is he hated religion and he especially hated Christians. And again, every, every time it's tried, Christianity is the target, the main target, religion in general is persecuted. It's an evil ideology. It doesn't work. I mean, it's, it's a train wreck economically, but beyond that, it is anti-Christian. It is, you know, spiritually bad stuff. You know, the other thing that shows up over and over again is abortion. Abortion is, is, is the, one of the pillars. I mean, in, in communist China, they would, had a one-child policy. They just aborted in the Soviet Union all the way along. Every time it is tried. It's interesting. This is interesting. I just re- recently discovered this. Uh, in this country, Margaret, Margaret Sanger, who is the founder of Planned Parenthood and the abortion mu- movement in the United States, um, was a, a socialist. Hmm. I mean, that was, she, was, she was pushing for that and, and, um, and wanted to use abortion as population control and specifically to wipe out the black population. They put their, they put their uh, clinics primarily in African-American communities and um, they have wiped out half the African-American community. We would have twice the number of African-Americans in our country today if it were not for Margaret Sanger and, and what she did. Guys, it's, it, it is a spiritual battle. Margaret Sanger's not the enemy. I, wouldn't, I would say Stalin and Mao, they're not the enemy. This is a spiritual battle that, that manifests itself in the same way over and over and over again. And it has not gone away. It's not something that, that you know, it's like, okay, we quit. We'll, you know, Soviet Union fell. It's, it's, it's over. The, the people who hold this ideology continue to try and thrust this ideology upon the world all over the world. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. Well, this fruit, I think, is the spirit of the Antichrist. We live in a world where this spirit is at play, and we have to stand. You know, in our country, thankfully, early on, especially in the, you know, this started really bubbling up in the, the early 1900s, uh, they found that we were a nation of people who loved freedom, we loved God, and we had guns. 
And, uh, and so a revolution that uh, wasn't going to go over here. Um, and so what they figured out they needed to do was they needed to change the culture. And over the last hundred years, you guys are like, where's the Bible in this? I'm getting there, okay? I, this is a spiritual battle thing is really, really important. Over the last hundred years, they have set out in very incremental ways to demoralize our population because if you can undermine the morality of a of a population, they can't defend themselves. They're too busy trying to cover for themselves. And they've tried to undermine truth. You know, we, anybody familiar with the, the, um, the concept of, of postmodernism? We, um, the modern era started with the Enlightenment and went up until, I don't know, the, 19, the end of the 1900s to year 2000, and we were officially in the postmodern era, and that the core of postmodernity is the idea that there is no truth. You have your truth, I have my truth. Anybody heard that? Say yes. yes. Of course you have. That's the world that we live in today. Because if you can undermine truth, nobody can defend anything. I got my truth, you got your truth. The reality is, is you've got your opinion and I've got my opinion. You've got your strategy that works for you. I've got my strategy that works for me. But it's not truth. Truth, but if you can undermine that in a population, you can destroy the population. They have worked to take Christianity out of our culture over the last 50 or 60 years. We've, we've seen that because Christianity and this, this ideology do not coexist. But the end goal, guys, is a Marxist, communist, socialist, totalitarian society. And you don't want to live in that. And in fact, I would say because it is evil, because it is a spiritual at its root, as followers of Jesus, we've got to stand against that. They, they think that it's going to lead to some kind of utopia. It leads to a really bad dystopian movie. Like if you've seen The Hunger Games, you don't want to live there. It's a spiritual battle. So what do we do? Well, I've got good news. I've got good news. We got a plan. We're going to pray. We're going to pray hard because the prayer is what God can do, not what we can do. And we need God to do that. And we're going to be the blessing. We are going to return kindness. We are going to bring love. Doesn't mean we don't stand, but we're going to uh, treat people the way Jesus taught us to. And then finally, we are going to stand. And that's what we're going to talk about today because how we stand, that we stand matters. How we stand might matter more. Amen. All right. And Paul shows us how to do that. In verse 13, he says this, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to do what? Stand. stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, do what? Stand firm then. Guys, we are called to stand. We are not called to go along to get along. We are tempted to do that. We are not called to cower in fear. We're not called to keep our head down so we don't lose our job or so we don't get canceled on Facebook. We're called to stand. Now, we're not called to be rude and obnoxious. We're not called to be proud and ignorant. 
but we're called to stand, and we, and we have to. So what does it look like? Well, Paul lays it out. He uses this, this analogy of uh, the armor of a Roman soldier and the different pieces and parts of the uniform that a Roman soldier would wear. And, uh, and he gives us a breakdown of what is necessary to stand. He says in, um, in verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. If you're writing this down, uh, point one is simply this, hashtag truth is truth. Truth is truth. I don't even know what a hashtag is, quite frankly, but, but you have your truth, I have my truth. No, you have your opinion, I have my opinion, but truth is truth. Truth is fixed, and we're going to talk toward the end about where we find that. But we live in days when evil is being called good and good is being called evil, where the heroes are being called the criminals and where the criminals are being called heroes, where riots are being called peaceful, where socialism is being celebrated and called good with the history and the track record that I just laid out with you. We know that it's not, like open our eyes. And the Christians are being called haters and we know that's not true. But if you say something over and over and over again enough times, people begin to believe it. You know, George Orwell wrote the book 1984, and he talked about how they, they, would, they would indoctrinate people and teach them that 2 plus 2 equals 5. And if you say 2 plus 2 equals 5 enough times and you force it down, people say they'll begin to believe that 2 plus 2 equals 5. That's not true. You know that's not true. Truth is truth. we got to stand in truth, not just what everybody else is saying. We have to be able to recognize truth, and we have to be able to stand for truth. Number two, do right. You want to stand? You've got to understand what the truth is. Truth is truth. No, second thing you've got to be able to do is, is do right. It says, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. The breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness simply means living right before God. Living right before God. If the, if the enemy wants to take you out, the first thing he's going to do is he's going to tempt you to do something that will draw you into a pattern of sin because he knows once you're drawn into that pattern of sin, he owns you. Your relationship with God is jacked up. It doesn't mean you're not forgivable and not redeemable. It just means you're not going to be very useful to God as long as that's going on in your life. You know, I watch pastors, TV pastors especially, because those are the ones that we see, you know, fall to sexual temptation or um, embezzlement or power or whatever else. Same thing with politicians, and it kind of makes me so mad. And and I'm like, why? Well, always pastors are targets for one. And the enemy knows is that, that if he can get you into a pattern of sin, he's neutralized you in the battle against him. And so here's what I would say, guys. If there's an area in your life where you're choosing to sin or where you're falling into a pattern of sin and you know it, stop. Do whatever you need to to stop. First, confess it to God and ask for forgiveness. Repent. Confess it to another person 
who you trust, who can pray for you and encourage you and hold you accountable. And then do whatever you need to do to stop. Build accountability into your life. I, when I was uh, doing college ministry back in the day, we would, uh, I was so frustrated because we had a lot, of, a lot of college students coming and participating and we were looking for college leaders, right? But most of the guys were addicted to pornography. And pornography, again, I mean, one of the chief tools the enemy will use to take guys out. He will. And again, it's not an unforgivable sin. It's not something that God can't deliver you from. It's not something that he can't forgive you for. I mean, there's life beyond that and all of that. So I, I want to give you hope if that you're dealing with that topic in your life. But I watched as it sidelined a generation of male leaders in college. And it, it's even worse today because it's more accessible today than it was then. This is something that impacts so many guys and not just college, all the way up. And the, the enemy knows there's no storm in the gates of hell with your pants around your, your feet. Not gonna do it. He's got you. Righteousness. This is why, this is why the intentional effort to demoralize our population. To norm the sexual revolution of the 60s was not just something that happened, that was intentional. I could go on and on because I read history all the time, but that goes back to the 1930s in the Frankfurt School at Columbia University. Check it out. It was an intentional move to undermine the morality of America and bring us to our knees. Because if you're not living right, you're not going to stand. Three, be ready and responsive to share Jesus. In verse 15, he says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Truth is, Jesus saved your rear end from hell. He came here, he loves you, he died for you so that you could have a forever with God in heaven so that you could live in a relationship with him now. God has saved your butt. And he has left us here to bring as many people with us as we can, to snatch as many people from, from hell as we go. And he wants us to share the gospel with as many people as we can along the way. And part of how we stand Part of how you stand is you share Jesus with people and you don't shut up. And again, I'm not talking about being rude and ignorant. I'm just talking about continually and intentionally sharing Jesus. You know, I've spent some time in Vietnam, which is a communist country where being a Christian is technically illegal and evangelizing is illegal. And I've watched as the church, the underground church in Vietnam, shares Jesus at every possible turn while we are free to do so and we rarely do. Sharing Jesus, this is a spiritual battle. Helping people find and follow God is one of the main ways, one of the most powerful ways we stand in the days that we live in. Four, choose faith over fear. A lot of times faith is a choice, isn't it? I mean, ultimately what happens in our faith walk is in our journey is as we get to know God and we see him come through, our faith grows and our confidence in him grows because we, we see it. 
But sometimes it's just like, you know what, God, I am just going to take you at your word. I am going to choose to believe your word and what you say is true, that I'm your child, that you love me, that you have a plan for my life, that I am worthy, that you never will leave me or forsake me. I'm going to choose to believe that as I walk through whatever I whatever I have to walk through. He says, in addition to all of this, keep up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The evil one will shoot, shoot into your heart these flaming arrows of accusation and lies and slander or just tell you that God, God isn't with you, trying to bring you down. But when we choose faith, we pick up that shield of faith. It extinguishes those those arrows. Faith is choosing to take God at his word. You're my child. I love you. I've got this. And walking in that confidence. Number five, live with eternity in view. It says, take the helmet of salvation. Jesus died on the cross so we can be forgiven have a relationship with God, and ultimately be citizens of heaven. But we don't live with that in mind, do we? We get so caught up in the day-to-day and, 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 and all the affairs of what's going on here that we often forget that ultimately we spend a very short period of time here on earth. And we're going to spend forever in heaven. We're citizens of heaven. When you live with that perspective, it changes the way you live and it enables you to stand. When your main citizenship is in heaven, everything else dims in importance. You know, over the last five years or so, I've gone on vacation to Canada about three or four times. And I really like Canada. I mean, it's beautiful. Last summer, Deuce and I were out in the uh, Banff in the Rocky Mountains on the motorcycle, and we got some really good crepes, maple syrup, you know, real maple syrup from Canada. Crepes, yeah, you know you want them. Um, they're fabulous. I mean, Niagara Falls, going up into the lakes up in northern, north of uh, Toronto, some beautiful, beautiful places. I like Canada, um, but I don't really care about Canada. I mean... I don't care what happens politically. I don't care about their policies. I don't, I don't get wrapped around the axle when their election goes one way or the other because I just don't really care because I am not a resident. I am not a citizen of Canada. I'm a citizen of the United States of America. But even before that, I'm a citizen of heaven. Guys, we get all wrapped around the axle about what's going on here, and this isn't even where we're from. Paul says, put on the helmet of salvation. Remember, where, remember, this is just a temporary ride. Boy, if Christians, if we could learn this and live this way, it changes the way we hold on to everything, and it changes the way we walk through this life, and it changes the way we are able to stand because this is just temporary, and this is just a thing in a country a world that we're just, we're just here as representatives for a little while. It's a different way to walk through, through life. This is how the Apostle Paul was able to write in Philippians 1.21. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
Paul saying, look, if I live, I get to share Jesus with more people. I get to be ready, you know, equipped with the, the, the sandals the, the, for the readiness of, of sharing the gospel, and I get to do what God has given me to do, and that's awesome. But if I die, it's a win. I get to go home to, to my home country, the land that I'm from. I get to be with the God that I love. And then he finishes up by saying this, point number six. No God's word. No God's word. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. See, when your worldview is shaped by the word of God, when your truth is defined by the word of God, this is where we find truth, guys. You get all kinds of crazy things that people believe and say and some of it's upside down, doesn't make any sense, but they say it enough times that people start to believe it. But it's not true. Truth is found in God's word. But you got to know God's word. Guys, you can stand against the powers and the principalities of this world. You can know what's right and what's true. You can walk with confidence if you know God's word. But you gotta know God's word. How do you do that? Well, you're doing a good thing now, participating in church that teaches the Bible, so that's good. I encourage you to read your Bible regularly, daily. It doesn't have to be huge amounts, a chapter a day, something like that. But read his word regularly and get it into your heart and into your mind. And let it shape the way you see the world rather than Fox News or CNBC or whatever newspaper you read. I mean, and I'm not saying you can't consume news. I'm just saying if that's shaping your worldview, you're going to be a very confused person. You're not going to know what truth is. But if the Word of God is what shapes your worldview, you can stand. You can stand. Guys, the Bible tells us there will be persecution in the last days, and a lot of people are talking now. Well, these are the last days, and, and uh, you know, Jesus is coming back, and, and all of that. And I don't know if it is or not. I, I, I mean, I, we've been living in the last days since Jesus left, so for the last 2,000 years. I don't know if he's coming back, you know, on November 4th or not. I don't know. I kind of doubt it, but, you know. Um, I think if you talk to the Christians around the world, especially in some of those socialist, Marxist, communist countries, they would tell you some of the worst suffering that the world has ever seen has happened over the last hundred years and not in this country. More Christians have been martyred over the last hundred years, killed for their faith, than in the first 1900 years combined. That's another fruit of that spiritual battle that we were talking about earlier. Jesus hasn't come back. We've been kind of living in a bubble here. It's not been too bad. Don't know if that changes or not. I hope not. But what I do know is that we are to stand. What I do know is that we are to stand for truth. We are to stand for righteousness. We are to stand for the gospel. We are to stand in faith. We are to stand in our citizenship in heaven. And we are to stand on God's word. And if we will stand in those things, 
Like I said, I don't know what the trail looks like from here to where we're going. And as we lead our world out of this mess that we find ourselves in, I don't know what the path looks like. I don't know how hard the journey is going to be or how great it's going to be. All I know is that if we will do these things, if we will stand like the Apostle Paul has taught us to stand, we will be light. We will lead the way. We will come out on the other side. We have to stand. We have to be the blessing, we have to pray hard, and guys, we have to stand. And if we will, if we will, the best is yet to come. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you hold all of this in your hands. Thank you that uh, you have our lives and we don't have to fear. And thank you, God, that you have placed us here in this time, in history, in this place, to be light and to point the way to you and to point the way to life. So God, we don't know, we don't see all that's coming our way, but we do know that with you and with the power of your spirit at work within us, we can stand, we can be the blessing, and Lord, we can pray. And that if we can do those things, you can make it happen. We pray that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.